Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 12. Peter says, Wherefore I'll not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. He said, he said, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in present truth. So he says, I know that you know these things, and some of you are established in the present truth, but even though you're established in the present truth, it's negligent of me not to put you always in remembrance of these things. Okay? Of course, notwithstanding that here, there are three people that we must understand. One, there's people who are in the process of understanding this. We need to teach them until they understand it. There are people who have understood it and are established in it. The Bible says with these, we need to continually remind. And then there is a class of people who don't understand it at all. And because they don't understand it at all, it's our responsibility to teach it to them so they understand it. Now, there are things in scripture, it doesn't matter how long you have been in Christ and how long you have been born again. There are things in the word of God, it doesn't matter for as long as you're going to live on this earth. As long as you profess the name of Jesus, they are important to constantly and continuously be put in remembrance for you. Even though you might know those things and be established in the very things. I've realized many times familiarity in most cases is ignorance. Not all, but in most cases is ignorance. Right? And that is why sometimes you realize that the people who look like are familiar are experts, are professors, are emeritus of certain fields. They have made the biggest blunders in the world. There's a young man in the history of this nation. I know some of you never heard of him. He used to use um, roller skates, right? Uh, you, you know those um, shoes that have wheels that people put on and then they do. <laughs> you know them? Skates, right? So there's this guy in this nation. They used to call him the best, the star of that thing. So he used to use the leader group of guys, skaters, and then they go around Kampala, they used to hire that group for promotions, you remember? So if you want to do a promotion, say for a drink, Mountain Dew, you get like 30 of those guys, they go around town in Ugandan roads. I even wonder how they do it. Yeah. So they go around town skating and skating. Um, then they showed this guy on television, I remember when they said he is the best skater in the country. There is no place he can't go. There is no road he can't circumnavigate. There is no steep slope that he can't take. There is no, you know, pavement he can't pass. He was killed at one day. Yeah. 
One time he was skating in the middle of one day and a speeding car came and hit him to death. The expert. The chaps who are learning are still alive. You understand? Familiarity sometimes has a degree of ignorance. Some people are so convinced that they are familiar and they know much and then at the end of the day you realize they actually don't know. But sometimes familiarity is just a personal conviction but not the reality if it's put in light with you know, the full judgment of a matter. So it's the same thing with scriptures. You know, I find it so funny when I find people who assume like they have understood the word. And it's not working in their lives. But they have understood. But it's not working in their lives. How? How can you tell me that you are familiar with the word, but it is not working in your life? You're following what I'm saying? That's you saying that I am so good at something, but it doesn't work for me. How can that happen? Why do we still have tragedies in the faith like we do if we understand the word like we ought? So again, I always tell people and I provoke you by God, never get so familiar with the word to lose the beauty in every word that you read. Even in a sermon or a scripture you've read a hundred times, something amazing can come out. Somebody shout amen. Shout amen. Recently I was looking at a scripture. I have like five sermons of but one scripture. And it becomes beautiful every time I read it. That's the beauty of the lights of the spirit. Now, sometimes repetitions are boring, right? Repetitions are boring if they're overdone because you assume that because you've heard it before, therefore you understand it. But if you are in the Christian faith, there will be repetitions. We will put you in remembrance always of these things, even though you know them and be established in them. Because if we don't, before God, we are negligent. Peter said, And God cannot want a repetition of putting in remembrance of a thing except he knows that it is deeper than what we think we understand. You understand? So, he says, present truth is supposed to be a constant reminder for the man who knows and is established in it. A constant teaching for the man who is learning. A constant introduction to men who will want to learn it. That one never leaves us as long as we live. Even when you're 90 and 100, you'll open the book and present truth will always amaze you. Somebody shout amen. And so I said, what is this thing that we always put you in remembrance or all to always put you in remembrance? How be it that we are supposed to do that and many of you actually don't know it? In fact, I bet you a big percentage of people in this room, after this service, you're going to realize that there is a lot about present truth you didn't know, even though you thought that you knew. Praise God. Now, the word present truth, present, the word present, the word present is a Greek word, pareimi. Pareimi means present. Pareimi. Or pareimi. That's the Greek word for present. Truth, we all know, right? It's truth, truth is truth. But pareimi. Now, pareimi has two Greek words. Para and aimi. They are joined to make the word pareimi, right? Para has this definition. Para means above. Para means beyond. The truth that is above. 
the truth that is beyond. I always tell you that there are certain truths that are above other truths. Did you get it? They are not against, but they are above other truths. Praise God. They are above other truths. Some truths are beyond other truths. However, in the definition of para also, is a word against or contrary. So that also brings red lights to you because you're like, why is it that you tell us that truths are not against each other, but yet in the word para, there's against and contrary. But also in the definition of para, there's a word called among. So these truths are among the general truth of God, but are above and beyond many truths of God, but seem to be contrary or against certain truths of God. Seem. They are against. They appear like they are against. They are against. They are contrary. Now, Amy, of course, is simple existent. In other words, in the existent time. In our time of existence, right now where you are, this is the present. There are things, there are things, there are scriptures, there are truths that seem to be above, are beyond, but among the general truths of the mystery of the gospel, yet seem to be against or contrary. To what? To the teaching that is of old. You understand? So you need to understand me that even though these truths are above, even though these truths are beyond other truths, they are among the general mystery of the gospel. They are collectively one. Yet they seem to be opposite or contrary or against other truths in the very book you read. And some people, when they get into these truths because they don't understand God fully, many of these things come off as traditions. In fact, for some reason, some people are atheists or do not even believe in God because the Bible appears to be contradictory to them. Why is the Bible contradictory to them? Because some of these truths are opposite each other and yet they exist in the same book. And many of them in their own human minds want to understand how you can believe and respond and give yourself to something that is already contradicting to itself. Reasonably, it doesn't make sense for them. It is not reasonable. It's not something that, you know, connects to their rationale that you are believing in something that is already contradicting to itself. Most importantly, yes, seem contradictions in the Old Testament. Again, this is how people see it, but that's not how God sees it. But also the biggest contradictions are between the Old and the New Testament. So if you're a reader of the Bible, or at least if you're in this ministry, we read the Bible enough for you to see that there are things in the Word that you're going to see that are always going to be contradictory to each other. They contradict Old Testament, New Testament. What's new, what's old. What's there, what's not. What's working, what isn't. What is light, what is dark. What is strong, what... And when these contradictions come in the narrative, they will disturb your brain if you do not understand present truth. Let me give you an example. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8. What does it say? Say again. 
Yes. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. He's saying, when Sabbath comes, you must keep that one holy. It's a holy day. Not with an L-I, but with an L-Y. Sabbath is supposed to be a day that is holy. So you're going to have to remember it and keep it holy. We must have a day in the week that is holy, which is the Sabbath. Right? It's Exodus 20, verses 8. Romans chapter 14, verses 5. What does it say? And Paul now comes in Romans and says, And one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. He says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And the next verse says, he that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he does not regard it. So he that eateth, eateth to the Lord. And he that giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. So what's your problem? This is what Paul said. Paul is saying, no, 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 it's okay. If somebody doesn't regard that day, that's okay. If somebody feels that this is my holy day, that's okay. If somebody feels that this is not my holy day, it's all right. This is Paul saying, it's okay for you to regard one day holy. That's okay. Another one that I regard it holy says, everyone is doing this unto the Lord and nobody should judge the other. Don't judge who we eat and he who die and eat. All of them are doing it to the glory of God. As long as at the end of the day, the glory of God is there. Ah, that's contradictory. Because Exodus 20 verses 8 said, honor the Sabbath. So why is then Paul telling us that we can choose to honor one holy day or not? You understand what I'm saying? Paul is against the observation of certain days. Yet Exodus, God spoke by Moses and said, Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's contradictory. That's contradictory. In fact, recently, probably in the past four or five years, I've started to see that certain people are starting to vie off into another faith. Some of them call themselves Jewish Jesus something something. Some. And many of them now are starting to deal away with the teachings of Paul. They're starting to deal away with the teachings of Peter. They're starting to deal away with the teachings of John because they're contradictory. They are in agreement with the gospel as written by John, Luke, Matthew, and Mark. But when it gets into the letters, they're not agreeable because those are letters. And many of these letters are contradictory to the original Torah. Right? They're contradictory to the Old Testament and what it teaches. And I have wept seeing people go that way. And many at a time now have disqualified almost every reality of the New Testament experience, except that they believe that Jesus came, was dead and resurrected. But many of them have been alienated from the life of salvation. And many of them now have gone into, if Jesus is not called Yeshua HaMashiach, then you're not calling the right one. If you don't call him Jehoiahweh, he's not the one you're calling. You're calling another God, not the other one. You know? So it's, it's, it's so... It's sad, but you see, it begins from here. Because when people can't reconcile some of these things, they establish their own faiths or things that are reasonably understood, but without the experience of the person of revelation. That's why I tell people, ask for anything in this world, but ask for the spirit of revelation. Because if you get that wisdom by God, everything comes by that wisdom. 
You understand? But a very definitive contradiction is here in Scripture. One is honoring the day, another one is not honoring the day. And they are all believing the same Bible. So how do we reconcile which of them is above the other? We will say Pauline's teaching is above the other. But how can you say that? This is God who said in Exodus, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. We can argue over that and then burn the candles to the next day. But at the end of the day, somewhere, if you don't understand the present truth, you cannot reconcile those two scriptures I just read for you. And so when people come to you with questions as such, many of you just become blank. Okay, I'll get back to you. Let me first go and... Uh... Or some of you just get to the defensive, irrational emotion. Eh? You know, some of you just say, eh, why are you against it? Who told you the Bible is contradictory? Where, where? Eh? Stay away from me. I want nothing to do with you. Eh? Then they go and tell another sister, you know, there's something wrong with this sister. Eh? She's saying the Bible is contradictory. Hmm? Stay away, stay away. You understand? But you see, she's asking a viable question. She wants to know why there are contradictions. Right? The Bible says in Peter, you must be always ready to give what? Reason for your faith and your hope. Be ready. You must be an equipped minister enough, a believer enough, ready to explain your faith with meekness. Right? I've always had a problem with people who deal with other people's religions and then they become abusive and proud pompous and overinflated with silly egos because they think they know God more. No. The Bible says you have to be meek and in fear, but you must be able to answer every man that asketh your reason for your hope. That's the reason why we have apologetics. The essence of why we, I loved reading people like C.S. Lewis, Vishal Mangalwadi, Ravi Zakarias is our present day and the rest of the like who have, can also give reason, can answer can give an answer for the reason of their hope. Not many people are gifted to go to that level and realm of where those men are. But at least every Christian must be able to answer every man the reason of the hope that you have in Christ. You must be able to explain your faith. Otherwise, some of you are in something you can't explain. That means your faith is not stable. You can fall off the faith easily. Why? Because you don't understand that. So there are people who, if these two scriptures, if I ask you, why are they there in the Bible and why are they contradictory? Can you help bring me the reconciliation? I can. Can you? Can you? So if you can't, then where are you? Why are we even talking about present truth? Do you understand present truth? Let me give you another one. Genesis chapter 32 verses 30. The Bible says, and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. What did he say? I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. John chapter 1 verses 18. No man has seen God. Sorry, Jacob, what did you say again? Jacob, sorry, sorry. you what? So God called Why? Why does the Bible say that Jacob saw God face to face? And yet another one says, no man has seen God. The only begotten son which is in the bosom of a father, he has declared him. Can you explain that to somebody if they ask you? You need to know these things. How can you not invest in your faith? And yet this is 
your life you understand what i'm saying you get what i'm saying so does that mean that no man has seen god or jacob was lying or then what did john say when he says no man has seen god at any time the only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father he has declared him which man is he talking about here huh which man is he talking about here is he talking about all men when he says no man is he talking about a particular man you see what i'm saying but this is a contradiction i'll give you another one exodus 21:23 and if any mischief follow that means if any mischief is done to you then thou shall give life for life that means if they kill you kill eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot Matthew 5:39 then in the New Testament comes and says but I say unto you ye resist not evil but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek turn to him that one also one man is saying it's okay to kill if you're killed cut off one hand if they cut off yours take a hand off if they take off your hand take a foot off if they take off your foot off. someone plucks out your eye pluck them out wa kukona na ingo college namukona you understand but in matthew he says no if a man smites you on one cheek what do you do hey you see what i'm saying that's already contradiction some people don't see that if jesus was in agreement with everything taught in the old testament the way the pharisee the sadducee and the essenes taught it jesus would not have been crucified do you know that He would not have been crucified. He would not have been crucified. No, he would not. He would not have been crucified. Some people think, "Oh, how can they crucify a man who fed the poor, who cleansed the lepers, who raised the dead, who opened blind eyes and deaf ears and cast out tumors and, and the dead were raised?" That is not really the reason why Jesus Christ was killed. Nobody doesn't want to be healed, nobody doesn't want to be delivered, nobody doesn't want to be changed, nobody doesn't want and their eyes to see. Nobody is not amazed by a miracle, but their problem is that even if you do the best miracles in the world, when you start teaching, you are contradictory. You see what I'm saying? And so to them they feel that this is not the man of God. I'll give you an example. In Exodus 20 verses 12 the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord has given thee honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth the land which the Lord has given you in other words Exodus is telling us you honor your father and mother if you do that your days on the earth are going to be what are going to be long. And then Jesus comes in Luke 14:26. Jesus, now imagine a Pharisee knows Exodus 20 verses 12 and then he comes in the back and is seated in a meeting and Jesus is addressing people and then he hears Jesus saying, if any man come to me and hate not his father, his mother, his wife and children and brethren and sisters and yeah his own life He cannot be my disciple imagine a pharisee seated in the back now you think about it imagine what the pharisee who knows in exodus 20 that you must honor your father 
and mother and he's seated in a meeting and there's this new 30-year-old guy saying, if any man should come to me, he must hate his father. And the guy they're talking about is also a father in the same room. He must hate his mother. Then he thinks about his wife and what his son is attending. Imagine your father, for the first time your father comes and he's against you. Oh, you're going to this fellowship. I don't like what they're teaching. I'm told they're false teachers. And then he says, today I'm coming to visit you. (laughs) Finally, my father is going to hear Apostle Grace preaching. (laughs) You even send me a message, Papa, eh, my dad is coming. And that day I don't even see it. Then your father sits in a room in the back there. Then I say, if anybody is to follow me, He must hate his father, his mother, his wife, and his children. Who does that? Are you following what I'm saying? That's contradictory. Genesis 17 verses 10. Old Testament, it says, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Every man child. God made a covenant with Abraham. Told him every man child. Every man child that comes after and says they are of Abraham, they must be circumcised. Then Paul, which is a Jew, in Galatians 5.2, he says, behold I, now imagine you're seated among men who know Genesis 17 and they are Jews. They're even circumcised. And probably there's a guy who is attending. He just circumcised his boy just yesterday. And then Paul, you go in front of them in Galatians. So he says, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. What? What? You see what I'm saying? I've just circumcised my boy. And you're telling him Christ is not profitable to him. So what should I do? Can I undo it? You get my point? Can you undo circumcision? No. Now imagine a carnal person who is literally saying it. Are you circumcised? Yeah, uh, Christ, go. Christ is not for you. You don't have Jesus. You're gone. Jesus is not for you. He's not profitable to you. you are you circumcised? Yeah. Nah, then, <laughs> just don't waste your time. Just go. Get out of the office. As in, you have nothing to do here. This room is for people who are not what? We are the only people to whom Christ profiteth. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Can you explain it? Can you give reason why there seems to be contradiction? In the same thing. Why do you think Paul would teach and men go back with another message? Why do you think they say we are cults, we teach people? Because that's what they hear. In Romans 3.8 he says, why should we not do evil? This is Paul asking, that good may come. Why should we not do evil that good may come? That's a very, you know, 
That's a very noxious, it's a very funny question to even ask. But what has taken Paul to the conclusion of asking that kind of question? Because there are people who came in Paul's teaching and they had him and they went back saying, ah, Paul said, let's do good. That's what they heard. Because they are listening to him in light with something so old and they're trying to connect their old revelation with what Paul is trying to give them. So Paul says, and why should we not do evil that good may come? I mean, if they ask you that now, you'd say, duh, how can good come because someone is doing evil? I think that makes sense. But you see, there are questions that when they start to be discussed, they almost seem as though they are so obvious not to even be discussed. But here they are in Romans 3. We thought that that is obvious. No, it's not. Because there are people who hear it differently according to Paul's teaching. He says, and why should we not do evil that good may come? As some, he says, slanderously charge us with teaching. He says, such false teaching is justly condemned by them. In other words, the right to condemn, if indeed we are telling men that it's okay to do evil because you're under grace. If indeed that's what we're teaching, they are right. Because even Paul or I or Christ, none of us is teaching that it's good to do evil. But some hear it that way. So the condemnation is just for somebody to teach a message to imply that it's okay now to do anything because you're under grace. That's wrong. Even me, I would condemn them. But what they are wrong about is they are slanderously reporting us falsely. Because they don't seem to know the truth. In fact, I recall that some of you, the first time you came to Fanero, somebody invited you, you saw, you know, you were excited to come, but you didn't know what to do. So your legs were like, yeah, 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 I'll come. You kept on until probably somebody overstuck on your case. So one day you got convicted, you came in a meeting. But you came with this attitude of, I'm waiting to hear that thing. I swear I'll just walk out of this thing. And then you sat to listen to me. Then people were clapping. You were not clapping because you're waiting. That service, everything I said was right. Mm, it's good. But I'm still what? Waiting. Next day you came. I preached. You waited for, for that word. In fact, probably some of you, there was a lady... <laughs> There was a lady, she was a lawyer, she confessed to me and said, when I heard the things you were teaching, I wanted to see how I can take you by the law, by the spirit and everything. So I came with my lawyer mind to sit in your meetings, listen, get my conclusions of everything you've taught the wrong way, write something down, take you on. And you know those lawyers in black suits and high heels. I was going to take you on. Somebody told her, you know, you're a good lawyer. We need you to take on some young man. So this person came in the meeting to listen to me. And then one day just take me on, on social media. So she said, she came and listened. Hmm. Maybe today he missed it. Next time she came and listened, by about the fourth sermon, she was slain. They had to pick her up. 
I'm testifying because she allowed me to share her story. She was trying to tell the apostle, people need help. Me, I came to destroy what I didn't understand. So you come the fourth day, you listen. Hmm, nice. By the time you're listening the eighth and ninth time, maybe people were lying. By the tenth someone, I make a statement, you stand up. Sharababa. Oh my God, Raka. After two months, you bought a t-shirt. You bought a sticker. Now you organize do you on the streets. Jesus Christ is a shame. Yes, today Then they take photos of you. Then your friends are like, is this you? But let's go back from where you began from. You came with guns. Ready to shoot me because I'm misleading people, right? And you know, when you get this, you're like, but how come people don't get this? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, how come? This is so obvious. Why? Because to you now, grace is a revelation. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, present truth is that deep that if it's not understood, you will always be a contradiction. It seems, again, remember the definition of para, seems against. It's like it's contrary, yet it's among and for the truth. Are you seeing how, yeah? So, that's why when Peter listens to Paul in 2 Peter chapter 3.15, Peter gives his account when he hears Paul teaching. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 15, he speaks of how Paul accounts of the long suffering of our Lord and the salvation thereof. This is Peter speaking. Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him has written unto you. And he says, and also in all his epistles, Peter is speaking about Paul. He's speaking of them, of these things. Now, Paul, Peter wants to get an idea, a mind of how to classify this. And he calls them these things. He could have said the gospel, but if we go gospel, it's not going to still make sense. But there are some things Paul teaches. There are things. You remember in Acts 13? Huh? When Paul introduces the message of grace to the church, to the people there, right? Let's begin from verses 38. When Paul is speaking to the guys, he said, in Acts 13, he says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, he's speaking to guys, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And then he adds, and by him all, all that believe, he said, are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Hmm? Because the guys who are hearing him for the first time, they know the law of Moses, that is the justifier of men. And now Paul is telling us that through this man is the forgiveness of all sins. And then to all who believe, the Bible says, are justified from all things. 
and the Bible says, from which you could not be justified from Moses. What are those things that I cannot be justified of from Moses, but through just believing, just without doing anything, just believing this man, I'm justified from all things? Gentiles are asking. And he says, beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of what? Of the prophet. Uh-huh. Behold, you despise us and wander and perish. In other words, the prophets were despised us and they used to wander of these things and many perish. He says, for I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man what? Declare it. Uh-huh. And when the Jews, the Bible says, were gone out of the synagogue, the Bible says, the Gentiles besought, now listen to how they've called it, that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. As in, there are things you're saying, we can't classify them in the gospel that we understand. We can't classify them in the teachings of Moses. Can you come back next Sabbath and share about these things? These words? You see? Now, Peter also gets there and he calls them these things. So he says, also in his epistles, he's speaking of them, of these things. These, the things Paul is speaking. Some things. You know, there are people, this guy is speaking things we don't understand. And the Bible says, in which are things, again he calls them things, hard to be understood. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest or twist as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. There are people who are destroyed because they are twisting these things. They are fighting with them. Everything Paul speaks, they get it another way. And God says, with those ones, they are destroying themselves because they are setting themselves against truth. And that's why now Peter warns you in the next verse. And he says, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things, huh? before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. Now there are people who have erred into wickedness by setting themselves against the truth. And he wants you and say, take heed that you fall not off from your own steadfastness because you know these things. But he says, but grow ye in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, some people have fallen off because of the things I'm sharing now. The things Paul spoke and the same things Jesus spoke. Some people are falling off from the very things. And some are destroying themselves by setting themselves against these things. In my years of ministry, recently I was praying and the Lord brought back to remembrance. I have not seen a man who fought what I've preached and they have not fallen. I have gone back and looked at the list and all of them 
either their ministries are failing or their lives are failing or their careers are failing. I did not curse them, but they set themselves against the world. I remember one day we were in university. Some leaders, communal leaders called me. Some of them were reverends, a huge group of people, pastors and all these guys were just there and they summoned me. And then they told me they read 28 things and I don't even have a clue where they were coming from. And they said, because of these things, we want you out of this university immediately. And then I asked them, I said, for how long? He said, until we feel, they said, that you're preaching the right message. So I said, oh, so I'm guilty until proven. You understand? I thought at least you ministers of the gospel would prove me guilty and at least regard me innocent for now and allow me to do what God called me to do. They said, no, go. And I stood up. I looked at them straight in the face. I told them, if you had called me, I would leave the university. But none of you called me. None of you called me. And then one leader there in one organization looked at me straight in the eye and she said, I'm going to make sure you leave by every means and ways. The reverend said it. In that very period, one old man said, I would rather die than Fanero exist in this university. He died. He died. I didn't curse him, but he gave a condition. How can you stake your life against truth? He said, I would rather die. I wish he said, I'm going to try. To, he said, I would rather die than Fanero stand in this university. The man died. Now, these people I sat with in Makere, I remember very well. After two months of that meeting, the two reverends were transferred. The lady then who was leading that organization was fired by her own bosses. I don't know what she did. And I looked back after years and I realized that nobody seated on that table against me has a ministry in that university. Louisville Grace is still in universities. Preaching the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What am I trying to tell you? Never set yourself against the truth. And two, when you see a man set themselves against truth, pray for them. Because they destroy themselves. But those are the consequences of setting yourself against truth. Never set yourself against truth. Never do that. Never do that. That's why I feel sorry for people who set themselves against you as you're preaching the truth. It is so wrong. Somebody shout hallelujah. When Peter said for their own destruction, it means a man can destroy himself because he's unstable in this reality. He's unstable in this reality. So then I ask you, or you ask yourself, or you ask me, we've heard everything. What is present truth? Let me say it this way. Present truth is the understanding, and I want you to hear this, 
It's the understanding of the life before and the life after the cross and the consequences to your present day. There are things Jesus spoke on this earth before the cross and they apply to men before the cross. There are things that Jesus spoke in his life that to men before the cross but were for realities after the cross. Are you following what I'm saying? There's some things in his life in his ministry, that he spoke but were beneficial to men before the cross. And there are things in his life of ministry that he spoke that were beneficial to people after the cross. And many of us don't know. So when we're talking about truths beyond, truths above, it might seem contrary and against, but are not because they are among the holistic picture of truth. We're talking about realities that are after the cross. Let me give you an example. Why do people call it the Lord's Prayer? I'm just asking. Let's just think. Because already I'm going to sound contradictory. Why is it the Lord's Prayer? Why do they call it the Lord's Prayer? Is it the Lord's prayer because it was his prayer? Or is it the Lord's prayer because it was the prayer he gave them to pray? When he gave them that prayer to pray, was that prayer a prayer for men before the cross or men after the cross? I'm saying there are things in scripture in the life of Christ that are for life after the cross. But when you say, thy kingdom come, I'm just asking, is the kingdom come? Answer me, is the kingdom come? What is the proof that the kingdom is come? Jesus is dead and is raised from the dead. So then how can you tell God, thy kingdom come? The kingdom of God is here. He said that if you cast out devils in my name and heal the sick, he says, know that the kingdom of God is here. We are in the realm of God. We are a new creation. The old is past and now the new. We are in the realm of God. Now, we cannot say, God, your kingdom come. It's come. But you see, some of us are so emotional that you understand? He says, give us this day our daily bread, right? He is the bread of life. And any man that eats of him shall not what? Hunger anymore. So then why are you still asking for daily bread when he tells you when you eat me, you can't hunger? But you see, if you see that, oh, they're attacking the Lord, the Lord's, the Lord's prayer. See, I'm not against that. Are you hearing me? 
Forgive us our sins. Are you seeking forgiveness or are you forgiven? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil? Luke 168. He says, now listen, deliver us from evil. Hmm? Deliver us from evil. Now, he says, blessed be the Lord. Let's read one, two, let's go. Uh-huh. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited us and redeemed his people. Praise the Lord. Uh-huh. What does the message Bible say in verse 68? Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. The Bible says he came and set his people free. Next verse. Uh-huh. He set the power of salvation in the center of our lives and in the very house of David's servant. Uh-huh. Just as he promised long ago through the preaching of his holy prophets. Uh-huh. Deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand. Uh-huh. Mercy to our fathers. And he remembers to do what he said he would do. Praise God. What he swore to our father Abraham. Uh-huh. A clean rescue from the enemy camp. So we can worship him without a care in this world. How can you then tell God, deliver me from evil? He said, he has delivered you from the hand of him that was mightier by the coming of Jesus Christ. Deliver us from evil. But some people are teaching it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm only saying it's not for you. Your prayer is different. Your prayer is thanksgiving for the deliverance of God. Your prayer is thanksgiving because you've been forgiven. You see that? But it's on people's walls. Some people's statuses. So when you understand life before the cross and how God dealt with man, and then you understand life after the cross and how God dealt with man, you will understand present truth. You understand? Did he shed his blood for you? Did he become the propitiation of all your sins? Yes. So if he died for all of your sins, then if you became a new creation and the old is past and now the new and all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by what? By Jesus Christ. And because he has done that, the Bible says he has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Is that where you are? Or you're still seeking reconciliation? That's why when Paul sees these things, he is tempted to teach on the principles, the primary principles of Christ. And I thank God that he used the word Christ, not Jesus Christ. He's talking about the Christ after the flesh. So if you want to understand what present truth is, look at the cardinal. The cardinal truths, the cardinals, you know, the primary principles of Christ. And he mentions them. He says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. And he says, not laying again the foundation. Now, these are foundational 
the foundational realities. And I think every man should go and search them out diligently. Because if you do, you'll understand present truth. Number one, repentance from dead works. In there is the doctrine of law and grace. In there is the principle of sin. In there is the doctrine of righteousness. So if you're talking about repentance from dead works, you're dealing with the sin principle. When I'm talking about the sin principle, it's deeper than just sin, sin. Because the Bible speaks of the principle of sin. Look firstly, beyond what you did, the sin principle dwells in the nature, the Adamic nature. The first man who fell and because of him, all men were regarded sinners. That's why Paul speaks of men which have sinned after the similitude of Adam. What's the sin principle? Are you a sinner because you sinned or are you a sinner because you were born a sinner? Right? So we studied sin principle and the righteousness doctrine. Then in the repentance from dead works is where we deal with grace and law. Some grace preachers are still there. They're still only under grace and law. Grace, law, grace, law, grace, law, grace, law, grace, law, grace, law. You understand? But that's just one of them. Dead works are not bad works. Did you understand what I'm saying? There are very many people who have done very good works, but they're dead. Because they've done very good works, but the attitude and mentality they have after the cross is of men before the cross. They think that they are doing to please God. Yet they're supposed to be doing because God is pleased with them. That little dichotomy, that little difference hmm, is the reason why some people are still struggling in their minds to know why they seem like they're serving God and doing all the right things, but bad things are only coming to them. You will understand that dead works are not necessarily bad things. They can be the best things they've done. Mahatma Gandhi was a good man, but if he never received Christ as his Lord and Savior, those were dead works. Mother Teresa did very good, but if she never received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, they are dead because they don't come with the fruit of eternal salvation. Praise God. And of faith toward God. That's number two. Number three, and of the doctrine of the baptisms. It's a fundamental teaching. By what were you baptized? Were you baptized in Moses? Were you baptized in Christ? Were you baptized in John? What were you baptized into? What is water baptism? What is the baptism of the Spirit? How does that come? Why does it come? And what's the effect of that? When you're talking about immersion, the word baptism is baptism. What baptizo, sorry. It's called immersing. That is being immersed into something. They were going to call it okuonga. You're being immersed. And some people don't even know what they're being immersed into. There's a lady I prayed for. She was put in water in a certain church to baptism. She was immersed. She came out and ran mad. 
The church tried to pray for her, did everything until they could do no more, took to rehab, fell to rehab through her home, and no drug could fix her. For three years, she was mad after being immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm the one who prayed that to sanity. So I know that some of you take it lightly, but some of these things fundamentally can destroy. Some of you were baptized in two. You get it? Because this signifies a death of one thing and the resurrection of a life of something else. So if men don't understand the baptisms, what is baptism before the cross? What is baptism after the cross? Why does John say, I baptize you with water? Right? But he that comes shall baptize you with what? Yes. And John said, and he is preferred. He says that one is preferred. He's preferred. John said that one is preferred. You get it? So when we're baptizing, what are we baptizing? In whom are we baptizing? And why do we baptize people the way we do? Baptisms is a very contradictory thing in many circles of the church because many of us simply inherit tradition but without the revelation of what it is. Without the revelation of what it is. That is why if you look at some of things like baptism, if you look at some of things like circumcision, do you know Paul circumcised Timothy? Himself, the one who refused circumcision. Himself, he circumcised Timothy. So that's already contradiction. But you see, if you read the Bible, you will know why Timothy had to be circumcised. Timothy was not circumcised to fulfill all righteousness. Christ had come. The circumcision of Timothy was more of a fathering thing. Because if you look at Timothy's life, the faith is in the grandmother and the mother. There is no equation of grandfather and father. This was more of a fathering thing. It, it was not the Jewish understanding of tradition. Paul baptized a few. And he says, I never baptized anyone except, spoke like two or three people. There's a reason why he baptized those ones. You see, eh? so if you don't treat the word and understand it a certain way, how can you walk in the newness of life? So he spoke of the baptisms. And next, he spoke of the laying on of hands. These are all foundational. Right? The Bible says, do not make haste to lay hands. Uh, he says, lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be a partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. And so there are people who read that and say, ah, me, I don't just lay hands on people. Oh, me, not everybody just lays hands on me. But what is he meaning? There are different kinds of hands. There are hands of healing. Those ones you are supposed to lay on everybody who is sick and everybody who is possessed by devils. That's not in the class of 1 Timothy 5.22. Everybody who is sick, you have to lay hands on them. He says, you shall lay hands on the sick. Timothy, suddenly do not make haste to lay hands, but you shall lay hands on the sick. 
So who then should I lay hands on and who shouldn't I? And then Psalm 018 to the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And some of you are going out of the line of the Spirit in the name of the Spirit. I was dealing with somebody uh, some time back whose brother refused to go and attend the mom's birthday party because he hasn't had the Spirit. But the Bible says in Luke, when Jesus was met after they had left him in the temple, after he had gone to do the rites of passage, the scripture tells us, they forgot him, come back for him. He tells them, didn't you not know that I was about my father's business? And the Bible says in verse 50, and they understood not the saying which she spake unto them. But the next line says, and he went down with them, comma, and he came to Nazareth, comma, and was subject to them. So the son of God is subject to Joseph and Mary. And there's a dude saying he's not going to attend his mother's birthday party because the spirit has not spoken to him. This one, I think, is biological mother. Wisdom. So when Jesus is talking about this hate, he's not saying set yourself against your mother. No, he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That means anything godly you're supposed to obey. And let me give you examples of godly obedience. Sweeping the compound. Washing utensils. Laying your bed. Helping your mother fetch water. Those are what? Godly. But then you have young boys. They say, hey, come and fetch water. Mommy, I'm coming. How can my mother call me? To sweep the compound. When the angels were just. Listen. Why doesn't the angel come when you're finished sweeping? Why does the angel always come before you wash clothes? The Bible says that he that does not look after his own household. Is worse than an infidel. It's so ashamed that you have Christians in this room. Who have never even bought their mothers an earring. Or their father a sock. And then you come in the overnight. The circle has reduced. This is my season. This is my time. No. Subjection. My son, send me money. <laughs> Praise God. But we want to bring back a certain sanity. But anyway, let's go back to laying on of hands. You see, there's a class of laying on of hands for the casting out devils, cleansing lepers, rebuking devils, and what, and what, and all that. But also, there's a laying on of hands for the work of ministry. Acts 13. When the prophets which were in Antioch, Simon, Manasseh, and all his people, the Bible says, and when they prayed and fasted, the Spirit said, lay hands on them. And the Bible says, and they laid hands on me and Barnabas. Paul said that we might go to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. We're talking about that laying on of hands that commissions men into ministry, that gives responsibility and accountability for the assignment and mandate of God upon their lives. That one, Paul says, do not hastily lay hands. That's why me, I don't just lay hands. By the time I, back in the day, we used to, we were excited, we were younger. Many years ago, we called apostles who were not, or at least they didn't need to know that age. Because once you give a, uh, some people titles, you understand? Because some people are so for the title. And now we, are paying a price. Now we're in a generation where you look at a man and he says, hey, I'm an apostle. Who called you to be an apostle? He laid hands on me and said, I'm an apostle. He laid hands on me and said, I'm a prophet. You've never even prophesied anything. 
But you're a prophet. You understand? He says, don't hurry. Me, I tell you this before everybody, that I will account for every man I ever put on this altar and put my hands on before you. Before you, if I've laid a hand on a man, I don't quickly lay hands when it comes to the whole of ministry. Because ministry is very spiritual. There's a lot of accountability. It means I own what is on his life and I'm able to account for anything he'll do in this equation of the gospel. That is deep. That is deep. Praise God. So, he talks about the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. Who is God coming to judge? Some people think that you're going to stand in one line within a Muslim here, then an unbeliever, then a thief. Then for you also in the line like this, waiting. You're shocked someone has been taken out of the line. Who you knew is an intercessor. They've taken him out. To hell. (laughs) No! (laughs) The Bible says he will judge the world of sin because they believed not on him. I'm not going to be in the line with non-believers. Somebody shout hallelujah. The saints shall be judged differently. Praise God. And if we can teach these foundations, there's a lot in there that can help us understand present truth. Praise God. So every time you're praying, fasting, believing God, serving and all this, always ask yourself the ultimate question. Are you praying in line with present truth, life after the cross? Or are you still praying like one? who has not been delivered by Jesus Christ. Come on, speak to God. Holy, 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 Lord God, oh
that you're more than a conqueror by Christ which strengthens you and everything that stands before you bears the witness of the testimony of God upon your life you have favor before God you have favor before men you have favor before the inert things you have favor before the living things you have favor before the non-living things the world responds to you the universe yields to you the earth is yielding forth its fruit and its substance to your wanting because God has ordained you to be a testimony, an answer, an assignment, a story, and a glory in this world and the world to come. Give the Lord a mighty hand of praise in Jesus' name. We pray and believe. Say, I receive it. 
I receive it to the glory of God. If you're sick in your body, God is healing you now in the mighty name of Jesus. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you say, you know what? When I heard those words, I feel God is speaking to me to receive him. You're going to repeat these words after me. Those of you who have come, say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for the word today. I believe you died for me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Amen. God bless you. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest. Thank you.